0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Dentoon Invest podcast and we're going to touch upon something today that we haven't touched upon in quite a while and that is the M-word mortgages and I am joined by my my friend MM, as it happens, I've just noticed that, Matthew Marsh. <laughs> Matthew, how are you today? I'm good, thank you, my friend. Beg your pardon? Yeah, I'm good, thank you, yourself? Oh, I'm smashing, sorry, I just didn't catch that last bit. I am flipping 10 out of 10, thank you for asking, Matthew. So, Matthew, I know that you are someone who's relatively new to the Dentistry Invest community, so for those who have yet to meet you, it might be nice for you to do a little bit of an intro, just to set the scene for what we're about to talk about.
1: Yeah, no problem. I um, have been doing... 20 years um I left the Royal Navy and I was relatively good with numbers and I fell into banking um, from banking led mortgages um and I started my own brokerage up in 2005 um, and rode out through that horrible period in 2008 luckily we were whole a market which just meant that we dealt with everything from your day-to-day mortgages uh, buy to lets and everything in between, uh, rather than trying to be specialist and niche. Fortunately, that helped us get through. Um, As things got really tight with mortgages, I then started rolling in working with uh, estate agencies uh, to bring me full circle that I decided to open up my own estate agency alongside my brokerage uh, two years ago. Um, So I've got a good insight into both mortgages and estate agency. And the only reason I got in Nice one, my friend. And you know what? We were chatting
0: to each other just off camera about the acronym ELI5. And for those who don't use Reddit Reddit frequently, that acronym stands for Explain Like I'm Five. And that's going to explain like I am five. And people use that to signify a request to really dumb things down whenever it comes to talking about a specific subject. And you know what? I feel like the title of this podcast should be something along like E-L-I-5 mortgages. Are you with me? Because we want to keep this really, really, really simple. Because I feel like that's something that is maybe just not, maybe could be a lot clearer uh, is is the subject of mortgages. And that's why I wanted to make this podcast episode because I know there's going to be a ton of value locked up in there. So let's jump straight in. One thing I wanted to ask about mortgages, and this is the age-old argument. Do I overpay into my mortgage or do I overpay into my investment account whenever I have a little bit of capital tied up? Where do you stand on that one? Matthew, this would be an interesting one because I know that
1: you've worked in banking and you advise on mortgages. Yeah. Um, the short answer to that is to, if you're getting a savings rate of say 2% and you're paying an interest rate of 4%, if you're going to pay for, but only save two, where would you want to put your money? um the only other thing i would add to that is how readily available do you want your money because if your money's in savings at least you've got the option of taking it back but if you pay it off your mortgage it's just paying down a loan at the end of the day and it could be a lot harder to get back out so the two things you want to ask yourself is how freely available do you want that money to be if the answer to that is i don't really mind i'd rather pay off the loan because higher interest do that if you think i'll pay it off mortgage I also want it to have the flexibility then I'd probably stick it in savings so I've got more access to it when I need it
0: and this is it and depending on your knowledge or skill or ability or or investing you have to ask yourself can I realistically beat my interest rate every single year and can I do that consistently which is another thing that plays into it as well so you know one time sometimes what I see is I see people say things like I'm not going to overpay my mortgage I'm going to investment money and beat it but then it never actually quite happens because there's an active process to taking that money and sticking it in some sort of investment account so just something to be wary of we're all flipping human beings at the end of the day and sometimes being human gets in the way of these things
1: 100 percent, i agree with that you cool, want to cool, check cool. as well how um on your mortgage most of them are daily rated interest and all that basically means is the minute you put in um, some money into your mortgage, the, the very next day they'll recalculate the interest based upon that now lower balance. So the amount of interest you'll get in charge on the money you've borrowed automatically lowers for most mortgages nowadays. You used to get it where mortgages, where the interest rate wasn't adjusted until either the end of the month or the end of the year sometimes. Um, so just something to watch out for. Most will be daily rated interest. So just automatically recalculates just watch it in case it's um it's longer than that
0: top stuff and what is the actual process of going about overpaying your mortgage you get in touch with the lender
1: yeah typically um you can either just contact them and if you're just doing it as a one-off um just speak to them and say you'd like to make an overpayment with your mortgage um as a guide most lenders will allow you to overpay your mortgage by at least 10% of the mortgage balance so simply put if that's a hundred thousand pound mortgage they'll allow you to overpay by ten thousand pounds in that calendar year and they won't penalize you for doing so which is a great way to utilize it but if you do more than that they might charge you an early repayment charge or like a penalty charge for making that overpayment because outside the the traditional terms of that mortgage so just be mindful when you are speaking to them When it just asks them, say, are there going to be any penalties applied to the money I'm about to pay off on this mortgage? Um, Also, they'll ask you another question. Um, If they don't ask you the question, you need to decide what you want it to do. You can either get it to reduce the amount of years your mortgage is over. So, for example, if you've got a 25 year mortgage and you say, I'm overpaying £10,000 to bring the balance down, you'll notice that your monthly mortgage payments will still remain the same. What you've done, if you've chopped off how long that mortgage is now going to last because you've reduced it overall, Um, if you'd rather not do that and your priority is to lower the monthly payments but keep the term the same, then you'll need to make sure you let the lender know that that's why you're making the overpayment. So just be mindful of how you want it. Do you want to do it to lower the monthly payments of the mortgage or do you want to do it to shorten the term of the mortgage?
0: And that's interesting that you should say that because I guess whenever we're looking at mortgages and which which one to purchase or which one to have, the very first thing we look at is the interest rate, but actually there can be a little bit more to it. So you've just given us a gleaming example of potentially one of the T's and C's that we should maybe watch out for, that we need to be considerate of as our situation may change. And these things might even be predictable in nature to a degree. We might expect to have a little bit of extra cash and therefore wish to do that, therefore take that into consideration depending on which mortgage we get. Are there any other things like that in and, and so... So just to concisely summarize that, instead of just purely looking at the interest rate as the main determinant of which mortgage we should get, what other things should we be considered about in general?
1: Yeah. Now, um, most lenders will offer you three different types of products. Um, Let's say, for example, you say quite clearly, I want a fixed rate mortgage, for example, where the payments are set so you know exactly what you're paying. A lender might have three of them, three of them for a five year fixed period. One will be a really low rate, which is the dangled carrot. And you think, oh, that looks really great. I want to pay that rate because that means my monthly payments are really low. And then they go, yeah, but what we're going to do is we're going to add on this chunky fee for taking this really low rate. So what? Example, <laughs> Come on. Yeah, no, absolutely. So they'll say, <laughs> for example, you can have a rate of uh, 4%, which in today's market is really good. We're going to charge you £2,000 to do that they'll say but you can add it to the mortgage which they'll charge interest on um and you go okay great so you're starting off from a 402 uh, from a mortgage plus 2000 or they'll say option number two is we'll offer you a mortgage at say 4.25% so the rate's higher but we're going to charge you a moderate fee say 999 pounds And then you think, okay, well, there's the balance. The rate's gone um, up, but the the fee they're charging's gone down. Or they'll say, we'll offer you this rate, and it's 4.5%, but there's no fee. Okay, Um, And then you'll be thinking to yourself, well, I only wanted to pay X amount per month. Um, So that's when you have to weigh up what the, um, the main driver is for you. So sometimes you might want lowest rate because your primary driver is I just want the lowest monthly payments. I'm aware I might have to pay a fee for it, but I just want the lowest monthly payments. If your primary driver is you want the best overall deal, I based upon the rate that I'm being charged and the fees that come with this mortgage, um, then it's working out in the balance of that. Now, that can vary. So, for example, if you have a mortgage of £100,000 and your rate is 4%, or you have a mortgage of £500,000, and you use those same rates and same fees, then it might work out for the small mortgage. Adding the fee is uh, not so advantageous. But if you're taking out a big mortgage, then the fee becomes less relevant, and therefore that deal might be the better overall deal. So it's those things to watch out for. So, yeah, be mindful of the just picking the lowest rate because there could be a bunch of fees that are tied into that.
0: Gotcha. And that's interesting. And I was just trying to do the math in my head there. So basically it's a situation by situation assessment. And it's about crunching the numbers effectively on that one by the signs of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Anything else we should watch out for aside from the interest rate? There's
1: bound to be loads. Yeah, there's there are other things as well, such as um, just touching more on the fees. Is a lot of lenders will offer things like free valuations, cashbacks, free legal work, those kind of things, um, which sound great. They're all incentives and they, they're like, wow, well, we can go with this. And that's not a bad thing. If you're looking at investing in a property, for example, you might think, well, I want to do this and I don't want to outlay any money. So I don't want to pay anything to get this property valued. Because if there's a load of problems, I don't want to have wasted my cash buying uh, to check that out. So let the lender take the risk. But they'll, they're going to make their money somehow because these banks know how to make money. Um, and so what they'll do is they'll adjust their rates. They'll adjust their fees to make sure that one way or another, they've costed it out and they've worked out how they make their money at the end. Um, most lenders nowadays will offer you a standard mortgage valuation. And without getting drawn into the world of different valuations you can have out there to make it more complex, a mortgage valuation is only going out to check that the property is worth what they say it's worth. And there are no clear and obvious signs of um, damage or that it's habitable. It's only really in the lender's interest for a standard valuation. If you want to get something more in depth or you're buying something to invest in, um, think if you did this bit like being a tire kicker, a car, if you go to get a standard valuation, you might go there and go, Oh yeah, it looks all right. Oh, I know enough about cars. That looks fine. And if you think about it, you're about to spend 250,000 pounds on a house. And all you do is sold a scene, look at it and go, Oh, that looks all right. Here's 250,000 pounds. It's a big investment to not even turn the taps on, check the electrics, check the, the gas pressures, check all of these things. So I would normally suggest you want to get a bit more of a, a survey done than just uh, being drawn in or sucked into, I get a free valuation out of this. So that's a big one. We could talk a lot more about that one, but <laughs> I'll move on. Um, and also turnaround times is a massive one, okay? Love so it. if you're picking the lowest so, what, another thing that lenders will do is they will pick and choose their moments to dip their toe in and out of the water. So, for example, let's say Barclays a month ago were all over the place, like offering the best rates, the best terms. They get overloaded with a load of business because they've been offering the most attractive products. They struggle with the capacity, their turnaround times get drawn out. Um, and then when you're trying to get your mortgage, it's really slowed it up, what they're doing at the same time is they end up pricing themselves out so they're no longer competitive. And then somebody like Halifax or Santander will come in with a better rates and terms because they've deliberately now increased their products to be less attractive so they can get on top of their caseload. What does that mean for you and me? Well, we were thinking when we applied that this would be a simple process, that... Try to get my this house bought um, or this investment bought so it works for me on a timescale point of view. That this should all be nice and simple, but now all of a sudden, it's taking me a lot longer because the lender's overloaded or they're over capacity, or um, and it's now putting at jeopardy this house that I want to buy because the turnaround times or the extra criteria of the lenders now making it harder to get through. So be mindful of the turnaround times of the lender.
0: Real quick guys, I've put together a special report for dentists entitled the 7 costly and potentially disastrous mistakes that dentists make whenever it comes to their finances. Most of the time dentists are going through these issues and they don't even necessarily realise that they're happening until they have their eyes opened and that is the purpose of this report. You can go ahead and receive your free report by heading on over to www.denisoinvest.com forward slash podcast report or alternatively you can download it using the link in the description. This report details these seven most common issues however most importantly it also shows you how to fix them. I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Wow, thank you so much. And you know what? I bet we could probably make a whole podcast about those things in themselves, mm. right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I sensed there was more to it. I sensed there was more to it. But that's good. But here's the thing. We could make a whole podcast about that. And maybe we will do someday. But even yeah. just those top three, those valuable little gems right there will be hugely useful. So thank you for that.
1: Yeah, no problems. Yeah, I definitely could have waffled on for a lot more about those things.
0: (laughs) It's cool. I I can feel the energy and I like it. I think that's awesome Mm. because what that means is it's engaging to listen to. Let's Mm. move on for the time being. And like I say, perhaps we could do a whole podcast on that in itself someday. Things to watch out for, things to be conscious of when taking out a mortgage. Residential mortgages. There are obviously certain criteria through which each property and each candidate is passed through. How can we make that work for us? Or how can we make ourselves as appealing as possible as people who wish to take
1: out mortgages to these lenders? Okay. Now, there's basically three principles in which all lenders lend their money. Uh, Everything's about risk as far as they're concerned. Now, one thing to remember is the bank doesn't know you from anybody. They're a complete stranger. Um, And if you were to ask a complete stranger, I want to borrow £500,000, they're going to look at you a bit funny and wonder what's in it for them, are you a... Safe bet. So they base it on three basic areas of criteria. One is the security. That is, what are you buying? Is it worth what you say it's worth? i They're not just going to take your word that I'm buying this house for 500000 therefore that's what it's worth. That's why they get a valuation on it, to make sure it's worth what you're buying for, and that it's not a weak wham that you could pick up and take away. It's actually bricks and mortar uh, or something to that description um, that they can stick their money on. So if you don't pay, They have the opportunity, the whole point of a mortgage is there's an asset there that if you're unable to pay as a last resort, they'll look to force a sale so they can get their money back. That's the whole point of checking the security. Okay. so within that becomes your deposit. So if you're buying a £500,000 house, what they're thinking is the reason why they want a deposit uh, is they want to see that you're a little bit invested in it too and you're not solely reliant on the bank why is that important well if you put in if you went to your friends and you want to buy something and they said i really really want this and i've only got a fiver, can you give me the other 95 quid your friend's going to look at you a bit funny and wonder why and you really want it um, the way that they got it because house prices can fluctuate and because they don't know the kind of person you are if you bought this house for 500,000 and then house prices drop and then all of a sudden because that you lose your job or whatever else or you've turned the house into a trash house it's no longer worth the five hundred thousand. So the lender goes right because you haven't been able to pay the mortgage. We need to take it back to possession, but it's now only worth four hundred and seventy-five thousand pounds. But the mortgage on it's four hundred and eighty already, plus their legal costs, plus what they have got to sell it for. So it proves that it's a high risk for the lender when you're only putting in a small deposit. So therefore, the bigger the deposit which normally goes up in 5%, so 5 then 10%, then 15%, so on and so forth, the bigger the deposit you can put down, the easier the risk is to the lender. Therefore, the cheaper the rates and terms you can get and the better the terms and the criteria is a little bit more flexible every time you can creep up because you pose less of a risk. So that's a security. Second area is the affordability. Can you afford it? Um, So, the uh, age-old argument: Well, I can afford this much rent. I could afford that mortgage. Um, again, if you were to pay rent every single month, there's no assets. The asset doesn't belong to you. The asset belongs to someone else. And um, that's why it's easy to do that. But when you're buying something, um, there's the investment element in that property. It's going to be yours. So. They need to know you can afford it. And they're not just going to check your bank statements as much as we want them to say that that's blue. <laughs> and they're going to want to check um, pay slips. They're going to want to check tax returns. They're going to want to double check that you can afford it. It's probably one of the biggest areas they're going to want to check. Um, and this is especially prudent for self-employed people as well, which again, we could do a whole nother one about that. Mm. Um, um, but it's about, um A lot of people will make sure that their accounts are smart, so they only have to declare the minimum, so they pay the minimum amount of tax. However, when it comes to borrowing, the just like if you're paid, where the tax gets sorted out straight away from you, you don't really think about it if you're an employee. But when you're self-employed, obviously you try to keep those figures as low as possible. But if a bank's looking at somebody's pay slip and that's their annual salary, that's why they look at you when you're self-employed and base it upon your tax return or your tax calculation. they want to see how much you've declared for that last year and the reason why when you're self-employed they want to look at a minimum of a year ideally two years worth of accounts is there's inherently more risk in being self-employed than there is when you're employed it doesn't mean if you were employed you couldn't lose your job tomorrow but it's far less risky um so they just want to prove one you can afford it um they're going to check not just your income they're also going to check what your outgoings are so um if you've got you could be on 50,000 pounds a year. Um, you could have a car on finance, a personal loan, three credit cards, and two kids. Or you could be, and the affordability would be better for somebody who was on 30,000 pounds a year with no debts and no kids. Because what they're doing is they're balancing out, yep, yeah, you might 50,000, but we also need to strip out all of your regular commitments because you've got to find somewhere that you're going to afford that mortgage with all of these other outgoings to go to go with it whereas you might be earning less and be able to borrow more so we need to factor that in some lenders will use as a rule of thumb around four and a half to five times your income. But please, 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 don't solely rely on that simple algorithm because most lenders nowadays are heavily affordability based um, and they will check your affordability. And a lot of the time they'll use ONS, the Office of National Statistics statistics data to verify your income. So even if you're only paying 200 pounds on your food shop and the Office of National Statistics says that it's 350 pounds that's what they'll use because they'll always err on the side of caution so you might think I can afford this but that's how the banks are assessing your affordability the third one is the um are you credit worthy okay so what they're doing is by doing a credit check on you they want to make sure what are you like As a payer, do you manage your affairs right? So, what's being reported when you're paying your loans, your credit cards, your car finance, even things nowadays like your utility bills, your mobile phone contract? Are you on the voters' roll? Which is a big one that boosts your score. um, To the reason why that's important because it shows you're stable and then you're in one point. Whether you want to vote or not, it's up to you. But it shows that you're registered and you're there. Um, So. If you ask yourself a question, if your friend said to you they wanted to borrow money, but you knew the record of them paying back their bits and bobs was very patchy, you'd be reluctant to lend to them. Likewise, it's true for the banks. That's why they use the credit report, because they want to check what your history has been like. Are you a good payer of these debts? Now, the downside is, if you are the kind of person that never borrows money, you don't have any kind of history whatsoever, then your credit score can be low. And it's very simple because you're an unknown quantity they have no idea how good or bad you are at paying back borrowings or your utilities or things like that Um, and if that was the case and you wanted to try and establish at least a base level credit profile you don't need to go out and borrow money or get credit cards or anything else like that normally you can just double check that your utility bills like your gas or your electrics are being recorded or your mobile phone contract is being recorded on your um, on your credit profile Um, not have too many searches done because sometimes even though you might be shopping around for the best deal if they're all doing searches on you if I'm your friend and I don't know anybody else and I think well you've asked Philip, James, Timmy, Tasha then I'm going to be thinking god you must be really eager for this money and worry about what a risk you are so you've got to be really careful that you're not asking all in sundry they're all doing searches on you because as far as another lender's concerned, they're thinking, Well, you're asking all these other people, are you that desperate? So there's little things like that, that you need to make sure that manages your credit risk. So, in summary, it's security, the affordability, and the credit risk. And you've got to hit all three. The bigger the deposit, the other two become a little bit more flexible. But you've always got to score on all three. There's no point saying, I want to buy this house to live in. I've got 400,000 pounds as a deposit to buy this million pound house, but I can't prove my income. That's not good enough. They still, well, there's still a 600,000 pound mortgage you want. We still need to know you can pay it. Doesn't matter how big your deposit is. So just buying those things in place.
0: One, two, three, boom, boom, boom. I love that. There was so much detail in there. You know what? Something just came into my head as you were talking, and I wonder does this affect your credit score? Oftentimes, dentists, when they get to the end of the tax year, we're self-employed, right? Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes when you're self-employed, you find yourself chasing your tail a little bit when it comes to tax because you have an idea of how much you're supposed to have, but we're not accountants, so we don't ultimately know. So we can find, particularly if our accountant doesn't get back to us for ages, we can find or or, <laughs> or to give the accountant some credit, if we don't contact them for ages, okay, yeah. we get in touch with them <laughs> at the end of January, like everybody flipping does. Right. And then we find we find that we're basically a little short for HMRC. Then, you know, obviously there's the option of spreading out the repayments with a little bit of interest. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Does that affect your credit score? Um, It depends if it's been recorded. Normally, um if it's not being done by a credit, if you're just paying HMRC, HMRC don't normally record their payment profiles on your credit report, but they will record it if you default against that agreement um, yes. what i mean by that is so normally if you've missed the payment on like a credit card or a loan or anything for that matter normally if it's within 30 days um, or within that calendar month they'll normally just it won't even show on your credit report um, but if you miss it by more than a month they'll mark it as a one or a two if it's two months and so mm-hmm. on and so forth but if you get to a point where a, a default is very simply that I made an agreement to pay you X amount of money. And that was the agreement that we set up for you to give me the credit facility to do this. But now I can't afford to do that or I haven't kept my end up on that. I have defaulted against that original agreement. And that's what can happen with a default. That shows that you made an agreement with a lender and now you can no longer manage that, which then affects your credit score. That can then evolve into a county court judgment, where what that means is the lenders decided yes we still want our money back, but rather than us just chasing you to them up for the money, we've now applied to the court to get a court order for you to pay that money back, and that's a county court judgment. And those things aren't great for you. So it starts off with a mispayment, then it's a default, then it's a CCJ, and then bigger and beyond that would be things like an IVA or bankruptcy, which obviously we always want to avoid where we can, and but. In certain circumstances, and I hope it's for nobody that's watching this now. Sometimes it can be the only option, and I do understand that um, we're not all in that lucky like, position. And life does happen, um, but make sure that before you do anything like that, because they all make it sound so easy. We can make the debts this much each month, but you can absolutely wreck your credit profile if you do those things. Yeah, totally,
0: and totally sympathetic to, to anyone in that position uh, regarding the the uh, the the tax thing. I was curious because I know that sometimes some dentists do take HMRC up in that option and I I was curious because I've had a few people come to me and say we believe this has meant that it's affected our credit rating so it was interesting to flesh that out full of flipping gems really good stuff can we take that exact same question that we just asked regarding criteria Mm -hmm. for residential properties and how to make them work for us can we now take that and apply it to -to buy-to-lets because, oh my God, dentists love
1: their buy-to-lets, let me tell you. So this stuff will be super valuable. Okay, yes, absolutely. So it's tested in a slightly different way. Um, Most lenders, so if you wanted to spread the whole market, will just want you to be able to show you that you're earning £25,000 a year minimum, irrespective if you're taking out a £500,000 mortgage or a £50,000 mortgage on a buy-to-let because largely they'll class as self-financing, i.e. the rent you're going to be getting in for that property will cover the mortgage. Um, So they're really only interested in, well, what rent is it going to get in, okay? Now, this is the affordability section of what we were just talking about a minute ago. So instead of assessing your income and those kind of things, because they're not really interested in how much money you're making, I'll come to that a little bit more on that in just a second, but they're more interested in, does the rent, cover the mortgage and they will get a valuer as part of the security side of things to make sure one it's worth what you're paying for it and two what's the open market rental on that okay now valuers are very audit driven people shall we say um they probably wear gray and eat cucumber sandwiches um but they um <laughs> no offense always... to any valuers listening <laughs> hopefully <laughs> um no uh, but they'll always err on the side of caution because what they're doing is they're giving an assessment based on that which they are accountable for so if they turned around and said willy-nilly that it was worth this much and then the mortgage company wanted to take it into possession and they said well hang on it's no more worth no way near what you said it was worth Obviously, they'll allow for fluctuations in the market from when it was, but uh, or this isn't a suitable security. You told us it was. They are liable for that. So they're always going to err on the side of caution. Typically, they'll base the value and the rental income based upon what's happening in and around the market. So they'll look for comparable properties. So if it's a three-bedroom semi in that area, they'll go, well, generally, three-bedroom semis in this area, we've done our research, let out for... 1200 1500 pounds a month and they'll get three comparables and they go right yep so based upon that comparable evidence that this is what this property should achieve and they'll give a report saying house is worth x amount the rent is getting is worth uh, y um from that they'll apply that to the affordability and go right what kind of rent are you getting on this place and then there's another stress test which i'll come to at the end um but They'll then stress test that to make sure that this is more than okay to fit, taking into account that they will also allow a percentage to allow for if the property is empty, if the property needs a repair, i.e. that boiler on that property goes, or it needs some general repairs, or you're paying uh, a letting agent management fees, they allow a, a portion of that. So it won't be just a case, a simple case of, mm-hmm. well, the mortgage is a thousand pounds a month, and my rent's a thousand pounds a month. So that should be okay. Mm-hmm. It'll normally be, well, the mortgage is this much a month, and therefore I need to make sure the rent is a lot higher to make sure it's going to cover all the potential pitfalls that it could do. So mm-hmm. you always wanna make sure that the rent is going to be more than sufficient to cover the mortgage payments, and that's normally more than enough for the lender without going too much into it there are options where they will do things called top slicing all that means is the rent's not matching uh, or the mortgage payments that are needed so we will allow you to use your income to top slice or cover off the difference okay less mortgages that'll do that um, but there are mortgage providers that will do that so if you think the property is really really good because sometimes it's not all about the rent that you're getting for the property. Sometimes it's about, but if I can pick this property up now worth 100,000, I know it's an up and coming area. I'm doing it for the longer term growth of the asset. And therefore I think that the property will be worth 200,000 within, I don't know, um, five years because of the development in the area. So you're buying it for the longer term investment, not necessarily the rental each month. So that would be handy in that scenario. The typically... On this, going back to security, you will need to put down a 25% deposit of whatever property you're buying. So the deposit's much, much larger. On a, on a residential mortgage, you can get away with a 5 10% deposit, no troubles. With a buy to let, it has to be a 25% deposit on that property. Now... There are um, one or two providers that will let you put down a smaller deposit, but you will pay for it. The rates will be higher. The criteria is harder. So you need to double check that. But it's at least a 25% deposit typically for most buy to let mortgages. Okay. So security still makes the same things as residential, but your deposit's 25%. And then that feeds into the affordability. Does the rent cover off the mortgage payments? And allow a portion for missing rental payments or where it's empty or repairs, um, and then the credit criteria is um, pretty similar. They want to check that you're a safe bet. Now, the key difference as well is the regulation between the two. This won't mean a lot to everybody else, but to us as advisers, it does. And um, with Mortgages on residential houses—they're classes regulated under the uh, Financial Conduct Authority—and with buy-to-let, typically they're not regulated. That doesn't mean that they're unsafe; it just means that because they're classes an investment rather than the main property you live in, the rules under the FCA change slightly. Now we just need to know that. But here's the quirk: if you or any member of your family at any point ever lived in that property it classes as regulated, which can change the lenders that you can approach for that. Um, And that's at any point. So you could have lived in a house, moved out, rented it for 10 years, um, but they'll now class it, even though you've never lived in it, and you go to remortgage it or do something with it later on down the line, and they'll still charge it it as a regulated mortgage. So just be mindful of that. You do need to let your broker or lender know if you've ever lived in it, because it will make a difference to the providers you can approach. Mm -hmm.
0: Does that ever work in your favor if we take that and flip it on its head? Because you could live there for a month, call it, you know, whatever, however, you you know, get a mortgage on it. Right. And then rent it out. Right. And then do something along those lines. Obviously, everything's strictly above board, you know, what we're about to talk about. But what I'm asking is, is there ever a situation where
1: that can work in our favor? Because to me, it seems there might be. Yeah, absolutely. So you can um, you can have more than one residential property first and foremost. Um, so you are allowed to have that. It has to be plausible. Um, so, for example, if you had a residential property in where I am from in Portsmouth, um, and I was doing a lot of work in London, uh, rather than paying lots of money to Airbnb and stuff like that, I might think I'm going to buy myself a little uh, bolt hole in London. I can work from there and then come back, or my I'm buying a house for my mum or something like that, then I can have more than one residential mortgage. Um, But in this scenario where I'm thinking to myself, right, well, I'm going to buy this house. I'm going to live in it, do it up, sell it on or let it out, depending on what I've done with it. Then you can absolutely do that under a residential mortgage. Yes, you can. Um, All that you're obligated to do is at the point in which you vacate the property to let it out, you need to let the lender know, that you um, wish or what they call a consent to let. Can I please let this property out? Um, and typically they'll say, yeah, not a problem at all. They might apply a small charge um, to the mortgage or the rate that you're paying because it's now affected that. And normally what they'll do is they'll that'll be a rolling six month thing that you'll just have to go back and say, yes, we're going to consent to you letting this out for six months. And then you just have to apply every six months as long as they know the security is safe, that they're fine. And then when you get to a point, for example, let's say you did a two year fixed mortgage. Um, they'll just say, right now it's a buy to, now it's a buy to let. Um, you now need to switch this mortgage to a buy to let mortgage because you can't keep the residential mortgage elements you had on it because we know it's being let out. But short answer is you could buy it as a residential as long as you're physically moving into that property, doing it up, and then switching it out. You would need to double check, make sure you let your lender or advisor know that's what you're doing. Because the best thing to do in that scenario then is to try and make sure there is a mortgage that doesn't have any tie-ins because you might move into it, get a great deal on your mortgage, try to pick a mortgage without any tie-ins or so those early repayment charges we spoke about earlier. Um, that way you can then flip it without having to pay penalties with the lender for leaving that mortgage early. Very cool. Thank you for that.
0: There'll be a lot of people out there who have buy-to-lets or are you thinking about getting buy-to-lets, but given that interest rates are what they are, then what that means is they're not nearly as profitable as what they once were, at least for the time being, compared to low interest rates errors certainly. There must be means that we can undertake in order to make those more profitable from the mortgage side versus the actual rental side
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the things we want to check whenever you're buying these things is making sure that the rent is more than sufficient, as we mentioned on the affordability a moment ago, to make sure that the amount um, of rent you're getting is going to more than cover what you need. So how to work out a basic stress test. So bear with me on this. This is quite straightforward, um, but um, it involves a few little numbers. So there's a few little things to write down. So first of all, you want to take, let's, Pick the example of uh, numbers, nice and easy. A hundred thousand pound property. You want to buy a hundred thousand pound property. Okay, so you take your hundred thousand, You know it needs a twenty five percent deposit. Um, so that means you've got a mortgage of seventy five thousand. So the mortgage, seventy five thousand. We're going to divide that by twelve. Twelve months in a year. Okay, divided by twelve to break down the monthly. That will give me a figure of. 6,250, okay? By then, the stress rate that the lender charges is not the rate that you're paying. Sometimes it is, but normally it's the rate at which the lender thinks, well, if everything goes haywire like it has done um, and the rates go up, we need to still make sure this fits. Now, that can vary wildly lender to lender, okay? So, But the average at the moment is around 6.5%. You might only be paying four and a half percent, but the rate that the lender is stressing this mortgage at is six and a half percent. Okay, so that six thousand two hundred fifty we spoke about, we times that by six point five percent. That'll give me four hundred and six pounds and twenty five p. That's okay so far. Okay, so that four hundred and six pounds and twenty five—that's the interest that we're stressing this borrowing of seventy five thousand on. If you are a basic rate taxpayer, I, not in a higher tax bracket, they will then multiply that by 125%, okay? And the reason why they multiply that by 125% is because 100% is to cover the mortgage at the stress rate, and the extra 25% is, as we mentioned before, to cover if there's repairs that need to do into the property, if you're paying a letting agent, if you've got a period where the property's empty and not getting rent. So that's why there's that 25% that they're applying to that. So just, that, just to be clear,
0: multiply it by 1.25, right? To get yeah. the twenty five percent number, just to
1: spell that out. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that would mean for a mortgage of £75,000, the rent for that property would need to be £508 per month. Okay. Mm, okay. Because then that meets the stress rate, at the 1.25 that we spoke about. And that's as easy as it is. If you are a higher rate taxpayer, they then they'll up, add right? <laughs> another 20% or another 0.2%. So if they were stressing that, uh, um, then it would be at that stress rate that we talked about. Um, and then they would multiply that by. or 1.45. So that would mean the rent on that as a higher rate taxpayer would be £590 a month you'd need in rent. Very quickly, how you beat that if you're a higher rate taxpayer, and we will do a whole different podcast on this if you want to, is we could look at doing it as a limited company buy-to-let. Yes. Yes, yes, Which is a whole different, which will keep that much easier, but that's a whole different podcast. But it just helps you understand how the lender's going to assess you. And when you're looking at it, you will think to yourself, how much deposit do I need to put in? Is 25% going to be enough? Because the lender might only say, based upon the rent that's coming in we can only lend you this because that's where the stress rate gets so that's really important otherwise because a common myth that we come across quite a lot is well i know that the mortgage more than covers the rent but that's based upon the rate that they're paying not on the stress rate and they also haven't applied the 1.25 or the 1.45 so you need to be really really mindful of that now there are lenders which i'm really pleased to say um, that are beginning to come back down on their stress rates which makes this really easy or if you take out a five-year fixed they'll let you um, use that five-year fixed rate that you're paying as the assessment rate the way the lender looks at we've got a longer term tie-in with this client therefore they're less of a risk to us so therefore we're happy to Make that a little bit easier. You just have to decide whether you want to be tied in for five years, especially if you're looking to flip it because the penalties might be high.
0: Gotcha. Okay, good stuff. Very, very, very valuable info. That was a really interesting podcast, actually. There was a ton of stuff there on mortgages and just spelling it out really, really, really simple. And I think we're going to go with that podcast title that we suggested at the start LII5 Mortgages. Boom, there we are. That was interesting stuff. Matt. Thank you for that so much. Matt, there'll be people on the group who will hear this podcast and probably want to find out more about you. Uh, how can they get in touch?
1: Yeah, no problems. Our website is rbmsolutions.co.uk. That's Romeo Bravo Mike Solutions.co.uk. Um, we are on the standard socials as RBM Solutions uh, on Instagram, Facebook, I think my marketing ladies even got us on the tiktok now so uh, we're out and about there so or you can drop us an email on info at rbmsolutions.co.k and the rbm in case you're interested is uh there's my two eldest children reese and blake and m being marsh so there you go that's uh, why we're called RBM.
0: that's nice that's fun you haven't danced on tiktok yet then have you is that coming yeah i refuse <laughs> i'm not doing yeah. it yet <laughs> you, you know what i made a tiktok just for fun um you know i was just just testing it out, see how it works. And uh, someone said to me, oh, James, your TikTok account looks like dad's just got TikTok. Do you know what I mean? Because their videos are so <laughs> cringy, which actually hit me hard because I actually thought they were quite good. But there we go. Anyway, moving on. Matt, it's been really good to have you on the Dentistry Invest podcast today. Let's do another one very soon. I'll see you later. Absolutely. Love, see you later, James. bye